Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. Thank you for listening. David. Yeah. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing I'm doing pretty good. All right. Uh, now, David, I got some bad news for you. Okay. Uh, I stupidly mentioned last week mm-hmm. uh, that we were going to have a, a, a guest on. I didn't say who it was, but uh, that we were going to have a specific guest on. And uh, I should know better than to <laughs> say we're going to have somebody on before we record the episode, uh, because due to illness, uh, he was unable to be here. But... David, I've got some good news for but, you. But he's he's not sick. He's not sick. No, his, his family is his sick. His kids are sick. I don't know. It seems a little suspect to me. It doesn't seem like a very strong excuse. But uh, I don't have kids, so I guess I just don't get it. Yeah, I guess you. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so uh, anyway, so uh, we had a uh, somebody graciously stepped in at the last minute. Yeah, and it's very exciting. We got Pat Healy with us. Hi there. How are you guys? Good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be here. How are you? Great. All right. Let's I look at those that, levels. What's the name of the guy that, that, that dicked you over? Uh, are we saying? Well, he was on the news. Oh, you're not going to say. Well, I'm just saying, like, maybe he's doing you a service by not wanting to get you guys sick. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. You know? Well, he wasn't going to bring his kids. Yeah, That's true. That he may have what they have. <laughs> Here's the thing, though, David. He's thinking of you. I, I said, bring your kids, please, because <laughs> it'd be fun for them to see how a real podcast is made. <laughs> so. What's weird is that George Clooney doesn't even have kids, so he's really just... <laughs> <laughs> Totally blind, you guys. Yeah, but you know what? We got uh, we got someone just as good. Oh, we got Pat gosh. Healy right here. <laughs> somebody just as good looking, certainly. Oh, there's oh. no question. Yeah, Especially yeah. now. I mean, I, since I saw you, I mean, you you got you know the beard filled in a little oh, bit. Yeah, it's pretty, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, oh, pretty manly was looking. Kind of growing it as as I, as I saw you last yeah, time, and now yeah. it's fully chiaed out. Yeah, it's right there. Yeah, thanks, guys. So, <laughs> um, so let's look at uh, some of your credits. I don't have anything in front of me to look at, uh, but you know. Oh, you want me to list my credits? <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll come well, up with I a few. I can tell my story. That sounds great. <laughs> okay. What's your story? Well, I uh, I started off just as a total uh, what I would call a cinephile now, but a movie nut as a kid. And my, mm. my my older brother Jim and I uh, would uh, grew up in. Your older brother's name is Gemini. Jim. <laughs> oh. And I, <laughs> Jim Healy, uh, who uh, is my, my. I have two older brothers, but he's two years older than I, and we. Uh, at the age of, I would say, I was about seven and he was nine. He, we lived in the suburbs of Chicago, so we would read uh, Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel's reviews uh-huh. in the paper to see what was good to see. Mm-hmm. Then take our bikes to uh, a bus to, out to the mall to see whatever the movie was opening that Friday or what was out of what we wanted to see. And, and something that you would never do today, let your kids uh-huh. do today. But, yeah. Um, and, you know, we just sort of became obsessed with them and, and followed them and uh, read a lot of books. A lot of books were important to us as kids, especially the uh, the Danny Peary uh, cult movies books. I don't know if you've read any of those. No. We wrote mm. Guide for the Film Fanatic as well. And they were kind of like unique movies that were more difficult to see. And, and we really sought those out <laughs> over the year. And and uh, as it happened, you know, I, I, I was always interested in performing and and wanting to make films, and, and uh, that's what I ended up doing with my life. And Jim uh, ended up uh, as a, a curator of the motion picture collection at George Eastman House in Rochester, New York, which is the largest, or I think it's like the second largest archive of motion picture films in North America. Um, that's where, like, the uh, original camera negatives of Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind oh, are cool. and stuff. Hmm. So anytime they do a new DVD or Blu-ray or whatever, that's where they go for it. So he's, uh, you know, knows a lot more than I do, but we're both total cinephiles. He's doing 
what he wanted to do at that age, and I'm uh-huh. pretty much doing what I want to do at that age. Uh, I went to school for theater, acting. Where would you go to school? Illinois State University in a town called Normal, Illinois, mm-hmm. yeah. downstate central Illinois. Nice. And uh, as it happens, I, I, I went there because uh, I was going to go to DePaul University in Chicago, but mm-hmm. the application um, – was uh, too long. <laughs> I had to write an essay, and I didn't want to do that. <laughs> and my grades weren't great, and they wanted me to audition, and I uh, didn't want to do that either. And Illinois State was like a one-page thing. You filled it out, and you could have a C average, which is what I had in high yeah. school. But uh, it was one of the great. It is, you know, it is one of the great theater schools, certainly in Illinois. And it it, it so happened that I didn't know this at the time, but it was where Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago started, oh. uh, which is John Malkovich and John Mahoney and. Gary Sinise, mm-hmm. Joan Allen, uh, a rich storied history, uh, and uh, and they gave an internship to somebody every year upon graduation, and I got that internship and started out understudying and working on the crew and stuff like that, and then started acting in plays there, which which you know got me an agent, and I started doing you know whatever movies came through town, Chicago, and uh, TV shows that shot there, commercials. So what what are, what are some names we would recognize? Uh, well, the of, first of movie and... that I got cast in, I, I never actually appeared in. Um, it got me my SAG card, my Screen uh-huh. Actors Guild card, uh, which was my best friend's wedding with Julia Roberts, uh-huh. and I was supposed to play a waiter in this opening scene with her. That eventually, it, the the scene totally got cut, but I was on set for two days, <laughs> getting like in full makeup and costume, and like then they never even filmed me. P.J. Hogan was the director, yeah. and he was a real nice guy. And and but it got me my uh, my SAG card, and then I did um, a TV show that shot there called Early Edition, which mm-hmm. was uh, oh yeah yeah you know, the guy that gets the newspaper the day before and tries to stop some thing from happening. I never watched that show. Did did he like? Did he still keep like a day job, or did he just devote his life? I to... I honestly don't know that I ever watched it, other than the time that I did yeah. it. It was pretty cornball. But Lou Gossett Jr. was in the one that I did. Nice. And he uh, he rescued somebody from a fire or something. He seemed like a nice dude, but uh, I heard some crazy stories about him later on. But and then uh, movies I did there. My first like movie role was in Home Alone three. And is that right? Yeah, that was the first one I did, which was I did in '96, which is the one without Macaulay right. Culkin. And, yeah. and, and uh, it's no good at all. It features a cutaway shot of me. Laughing as a talking parrot rides a remote-controlled car at the end, which is about as embarrassing as, as anything. But uh, I still, to this day, collect a lot of money from that because it's a kids' movie and it's a holiday movie, and it, uh-huh. it, you know there's a lot of residuals from it. And I worked on it only about five days, but they had me on hold a lot. That's why uh-huh. I learned like how much money you could make by just sitting around doing nothing for like <laughs> no. over a period of five weeks. And I did a movie called Payback with Mel Gibson that, that Brian Helgeland directed. It was the first movie that he directed. And uh, the movie notoriously was, was taken away from Helgeland by Gibson, yeah. who hired his hairdresser to direct it, hmm. which is the way of a, an actor by union rules can't take over the directing of a film. Huh. So what they do is they hire somebody, and then they actually do it. But technically, it's this person doing it. And like something like eighty to ninety percent of the movie was reshot. Oh, I, I never knew it was that that much. I, yeah, yeah I, I knew it was like the last. I'd heard like the last third or no, something. No, it was like the whole really the kind of the whole movie. Wow. Really, kind of tonally, it was it was very different too. And um, does that make me a bad person? Because I still like 
It's I still okay. like Payback. And look, I like. I know a lot of people that like. It's one of those movies that's on TBS a lot. I think, uh-huh. yeah. and I know my dad really liked it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> just about, I guess, two years ago, um, Paramount came to Halgwin and said, uh, uh, "Do you want to? Do you want to do this?" Uh, we, we want to do a director's cut, and he was like, "Fuck you! How dare you call me?" They didn't realize what had happened, mm-hmm. and uh, and finally they talked to Mel, and Mel said, "You know, gave the go ahead for it," and he did this recut. And as it happened, we now because I'm a screenwriter as well, we have the same manager, uh-huh. and we became friendly a little bit again. And uh, he invited me to the screening of the new cut, and there I am, and I had not seen myself, and this was, you know, at this point, 10 years earlier. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I have a scene with Mel uh, where uh, I, I'm waiting to kill him, and I'm an assassin, and he <laughs> sneaks mm. up behind me and takes me out. And I look like a giant next to him, and I'm not a big guy. <laughs> uh, but uh, it was fun to see. So I did that, and... and so um, is, it, is, it, is it good, the film? I like the- it. I mean, it's not... It's never been great, and it, there's still no kind of getting over that it's technically a remake of Point Blank which is uh-huh. one of my favorite movies of all time and uh, it's a movie that I have framed the poster framed over my bed I love it so much really? so I mean if I had been in a position to you know not do it at that point like I might not have done it out of my loyalty to Point Blank but um, it's okay considering it's certainly mm-hmm. kind of like darker toned I think that they were worried about a movie about a guy that was generally a nasty guy and they kind yeah. of made him a little more fun loving and funny yeah, okay. um, but in this version, it's pretty much like a you know straight up noir. It's it, it's not great, but it's it's an improvement, and uh, it's it's you know it's better for having me in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I moved out to LA in '98, <laughs> and uh, I really pretty much started working right away. Like within the first six months, I was doing. I've done thirty uh, TV guest stars, something like that. Uh, I, I, including, as I talked to you about before, one of my favorite <laughs> yeah. episodes of Angel, right? <laughs> in, yeah. in, in which you're sort of uh, Doug Sanders, the the <laughs> vampire motivational speaker, which <laughs> yeah, I conceived uh, as a as a cross between um, uh, Tony Tony Robbins and Doug Henning. <laughs> For some reason, I wanted to have a big mustache and, uh, and yeah. hair. It was, it was yeah. The, the the premise, you're, yeah, you're a motivational speaker, but you're also sort of. Uh, uh, it's the like a pyramid, pyramid scheme, scheme type yeah. of thing but for instead vampires. Instead of like getting your friends to join, it's it's getting people for food, and those people will bring people for food, <laughs> and so on and so on. Yeah, that was yeah. really fun. I really enjoyed doing that, and I, it's not much to say that like there's not much over the history of doing those that are that memorable for me. Like uh-huh. there, it's 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 okay, but it's work, and it's not t- you know particularly. Um, challenging as an actor and you oftentimes get the scripts you know that day or like right before so you don't have a lot of time to put into it and and when they air it they take out all of the nuances that make it good just to like make you a a giant head that just says lines in response (laughs) to the star of the show you know yeah but on that one i really i enjoyed doing it and i thought it turned out well who directed that episode you know a guy named fred keller i think his name is hmm um, I, I don't know much about the show. I've never been a big uh, Josh Whedon. Uh, not that I'm not a fan, but I, I, I just never watched much of it, and and uh, and I don't think that I'd seen any of the other episodes except that one. But uh, it was fun to do, and I thought it turned out well. And um, there's very few others that I can say that about. There's a couple times I really had fun. Amazingly, they're kind of like in the, the horror fantasy ones because I was always doing 
dramas and I never yeah. got cast into comedies even though I'm a comedian and do uh -huh. sketch and stand up and everything but uh, it was always like you know NYPD Blue Chicago Hope what are the other ones that stand out? Uh, I really like doing this episode of The Night Stalker, which actually never aired. They oh, did right. a redo of The mm -hmm. Night Stalker a few yeah, years ago. I remember with that. Stuart Townsend. Stuart Townsend. And, and uh, uh, I played a guy who thought that somebody lived in my light switch and was telling me to go out and kill people. <laughs> and I, he's, you know, the, or the reporter who chases after weird supernatural things. And I actually go to his office thinking he'll understand, and I abduct him. And it's, it's kind of like an hour-long um this sort of like two-hander of just me and him facing off in my apartment as I go nuts. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a fight scene. And uh, he's a really nice guy, but he, 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 he got a little too into it. And uh, he popped me in the mouth and gave me a bloody lip. And mm -hmm. it was n no big deal at all, but my lips swelled up and stuff. And he was like, I'm really sorry. I, uh, I don't know uh, how, to, how to, you know, kind of make it up to you, you know, somehow. And I jokingly <laughs> said... Uh, uh, you can you can let me have dinner with your girlfriend, who's uh, Charlie's Theron. And uh, <laughs> he kind of, we kind of laughed, and then uh, lo and behold, that night he invited her for dinner, and we had, <laughs> had dinner with her, which was, which was all right. Uh, but I enjoyed doing that. It was it was it was a lot of fun, and I enjoyed. I did a few little bits on a couple episodes of Six Feet Under, where I played a a, a crazy patient of uh, of Rachel Griffith's character, who was becoming a therapist. She was in training to be a therapist at the mm. time, and. I think that they the next season they decided the show was canceled, so they never really followed through on that plot line. They mm -hmm. they went through the whole Peter Krause a dying plot line, and they were going to make me more of a recurring character, but it it didn't end up happening. Mm -hmm. I was a uh, I was the guy that didn't get the part. Uh, Rain Wilson and I used to always audition for the same parts, and he <laughs> got that part, and I didn't get that. So they were always trying to get me on the show, and and uh, they ended up doing that, but they didn't. Show like I said got canceled, so they didn't yeah. do much with that character. But I enjoyed that a lot, and um, I did a short bit on Twenty Four that was that was pretty fun too, where I basically showed in, up in which season was a dick and got <laughs> killed. Um, I only watched the first two. You know, yeah. I, I don't watch the show. I, I, I if I'm not mistaken, it was season six. Okay, it was it was a season where they. Uh, got like an ordinary family man who was played by uh, the actor uh, Raphael Sabarge and he uh, they made him do all of the, the their their bidding and get the parts for this nuclear bomb, dirty bomb I guess huh. that got that got exploded in L.A. I think and that was the plot of the oh, the, cool. the season that 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 twenty four hour period and I played a guy who he comes to get the materials from and I decide that I want to. I want more money at that point. And he, mm -hmm. uh, he, and I don't know that he's this father who basically they go and they, they put guns to his wife and kids' heads and say, you got to go and do this. Mm -hmm. It's the neighbor next door that he, he tries to be PC because they're, they're Middle Eastern and he has thoughts about them maybe being terrorists and they, mm -hmm. they end up actually being terrorists. <laughs> yeah, that's, they be that's Joel Republican sensitivity sort of, of that show. Yeah. And um and I, I you know I so I give him shit at not knowing like what incredible pressure he's under at that point and he literally crushes my head like a grape. <laughs> um, now, yeah. as far as so far, I'm noticing a theme <laughs> in a lot of your appearances, and I know that we haven't gotten to a lot of the a lot of the recent uh, movie roles, but mm -hmm. uh, I've noticed crazy is yeah. a big one, <laughs> villainous, yeah, and Do we swear and die, yeah, yes, yeah. go okay, right ahead, yeah, and an asshole, yeah, yeah, and. Uh, 
Yeah. Does that bother you at all? <laughs> it's a little weird. Like, I noticed, like, when I was putting my reel together one time, I had, I guess, like, the two smaller parts that I'm most well-known for are Magnolia and uh, a movie called Ghost World. Yeah. Uh -huh. It's based on the Dan Klaus comic that Terry Zweigoff directed. And um, I, uh, I noticed there were both scenes where I said something shitty to the person, <laughs> and they rolled up a $20 bill and threw it at my forehead. <laughs> and it wasn't something that was in the script. It was something that the actresses did on the day. You just bring like, it out. It never occurred to me before. And I did those movies like a couple years apart. But like, there just be something about the way that I was doing those things that was, um, you know, made them want to throw shit at my face. And so, you know, I was conscious of that because I, I don't know. You guys know me a little bit. I, I'm not really that kind of person. And, and um, so I've, I've, I'm not acting as much because I'm writing more, but mm -hmm. I did to do this film that I'm really proud of called Great World of Sound that I that I starred in a couple of years ago. It did really well at the festivals, yeah. and, mm -hmm. um, uh, where I play something a lot closer to myself, which you know is just more sort of gentle and awkward and and all that. And and uh, I'm really proud of that. I mean, not just because I had the lead role in it, but but because it was something that was close closer to me and mm -hmm. what I want to do and. I love doing all that other stuff. I would love to, you know, I, I admire, you know, some of my heroes are the great character actors and they, you know, had such range and did so many things. I just didn't want to get pegged as that. I was getting pegged in that in television for whatever reason. Um, maybe because I wasn't as beautiful as like the people that they normally have on there. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I can only surmise, but, uh, you know, I, 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 I like to do it all. I think there was a conscious attempt on my part you know to like not do that anymore and and i've been out for a couple of comedies lately and mm. i haven't landed but um i think people are starting to see me in a little different light it's funny because i did uh i did great old sound and like around the same time i did like a nice dad on a two-parter gray's anatomy uh -huh. after years of just being <laughs> this evil dick and um and then i would go to auditions and they would like for like another evil dick and they were like i i don't know like you know i had to like improve myself at that you know so you just you can't really plan for it and you can't really like dictate what what, what you're going to be just be happy to be working and and uh you know i'm in a pretty you know small percentile of people like working actors writers or show business in general so um that, that that's fine you yeah know? So what, what, how's the writing go? What do you what do you write? Good. In? Well, I wrote um, I wrote a short film that I directed several years ago called Mullet that what, that premiered at Sundance in two thousand one and and that led to some things, but I wasn't really able to. Uh, I didn't know how to write a feature film script that well, and I worked on a feature film script that was based on uh, that short for like five years that I really couldn't get anywhere with, mm -hmm. and then. Uh, I was having a discussion with a friend of mine, David Gordon Green, the director, about yeah. – uh, he just always has, like, weird, crazy ideas, uh, you know, that are just, like, one-line things. And he always has, like, the title for him and stuff. And he said he wanted to do a Western on little horses, like those little horses, and call it Snow Ponies. <laughs> and this was in uh, 2003. I've known him for 10 years, I think, now at this point. And this was in '03. We were – I was acting in a movie directed called Undertow in mm -hmm. Savannah, Georgia, and yeah. he told me about that. And just did it for a few years, and then I did this movie, The Assassination of Jesse James, up in uh, Calgary. Uh, it was a western, you know, with Brad Pitt, and it was in Snowy. And I started thinking about it again. I was talking to uh, his friend Paul Schneider, who was in the movie too, and about it. And 
I asked him in that winter, it was the winter of 06, if he mind if I just wrote a script. And I just wrote it just because I, I was intrigued by the idea. And um, and I wrote Snow Ponies in about two weeks. And it, I, I just gave it to David. He was in post on this movie Snow Angels that uh -huh. he directed. And so he didn't read it right away. And I bumped into an old friend of mine who was a cameraman who I worked on a movie with when I first moved out here in 98. And uh, he was now an agent and read it. He's like, have you written anything lately? And I, he's like, I love this. And I was like, okay. And he's like, I want to represent. And it was fine. And it went out sort of to people uh, almost like three years ago now, Labor Day of uh -huh. um, 06. And it, it just totally exploded. It was the kind of thing that people kept passing around to other people until, the, until it just was like everywhere. And I ended uh -huh. up on the blacklist, which was just, yeah. you know, sort of famous list that comes out every year of the best unproduced scripts in Hollywood. And, that led to me writing another script, which led to me getting a job, adapting a book, and got me in the Writers Guild. And um, they're all sort of things that are, uh, e you know, in various stages of development. And uh -huh. I, I recently was hired to uh, write a film for uh, Mandate Pictures and Steve Zalian's company's film rights that's uh, based on an idea by this director, Nacho Vigalando, who directed Time Crimes as a oh, really mm -hmm. cool spanish time travel movie that came out last year uh -huh. you can get it on netflix uh and that is a script about uh video game developers and video game programmers who kind of, who were working on like a grand theft auto type game that get mm. caught up in a real life scenario like <laughs> like the game and they don't right. have the tools to deal with it uh and uh <laughs> and i i guess the the thing that i've written that has been seen is i wrote some episodes for in treatment which is HBO right. show last yeah. season. And in the, this yeah, character the, that John Mahoney played. Yeah. And, the, and he was he one was, of my early uh, mentors at Steppenwolf in Chicago, so uh, that was kind of cool. Uh, but I, I didn't write for the whole season. I it was in New York, and I wanted to come back home. And But did you, you only did John Mahoney episodes? Yeah. Because okay. those I were some of the good ones. That's the thing about that show for me is that uh, I, I, I figured out early on in each season which – which patients I care yeah. about. What's well, nice I about it is you can you can and actually watch it that way if you want. Yeah, to, and know. and John John Mahoney and and of and the uh, the other story with the the parents and the little kid right. that season. Those right. are my those and are my those two favorites. Were, a lot of those were directed by uh, uh, Ryan Fleck, who did uh, uh, Sugar and Half Nelson. Oh right, yeah. right. Uh, yeah, I I I, uh, I didn't stay for production, so I wasn't really around and. I sort of I work with all the writers. We came up with the story arcs for the season, mm -hmm. and it's based on an Israeli show. Yeah, so you already have some of these stories, but you're inventing a sort of you know what. The how how long did the did the, the Israeli show run? Two seasons. Okay, so if there's a third, it's going to be there all is original. a third. They've just okay. announced it, and uh, it's it's interesting because the 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 second the the Israeli version and uh, High Hagai Levy, who is the creator of In Treatment in Israel. Um, ended the second season because the actor um, is is the son of his name is Asi Dayan. He's the son of Moshe Dayan. Uh, he's a famous actor um, in in Israel, but he's a heroin addict in real life, I guess. <laughs> and it was just impossible to deal with. So he ended the second season with him quitting the character, oh, the really? therapist quitting, and a young woman therapist taking over his office as if like you know sort of like maybe she's going to be it right and but i think he decided not to do it over there now they're doing a new season here with new showrunners and uh really? i don't know who's going to be on i mean i assume that 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 gabriel vernon you know i know that he's on it but and i and i assume that diane weiss will be coming back but i don't know yet 
what the plot lines are or, or who's going to be on it, but I, I won't be working on it. Okay. But my friend Sarah Treem, who's a great writer, and she wrote uh, the character, the young girl Sophie, in the first season that that um, which is like the highlight. Wasikowska played, yeah, those yeah. are great, and she wrote. And it did a lot for that actress. Yeah, too. She's, she's yeah, she's Alice and Alice and Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland yeah. now, and uh, hmm. she's in the Amelia Earhart film and uh, some other things too. But uh, and Sarah wrote April, the girl who had cancer from this last season. So, but I know, oh, right. I know that that's Alison Pill. Right. She's Sarah's returning as one of the writers, but um, I don't know who the other writers are except for the showrunners are two people I, who endeared themselves to me uh, during the writer's strike uh, that I was on the picket lines with, Danny Futterman, who wrote um, mm. Capote, and his wife, Anya Epstein, who is, I believe, she is the granddaughter or, like, the great-niece great of uh, 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 the brothers, the twins that wrote Casablanca, the Epstein brothers. Uh. Uh, mm. is Julius and uh, Irving? Uh, I <laughs> no, I don't recall. <laughs> Um, and they're the new showrunners on it, so I think it'll be good. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I suppose it'll be on sometime next year. Well, let's uh, let's get into it, shall we? Yeah, we, uh, absolutely. We were talking. Have we uh, not been into it? <laughs> into into the topic? I oh, should say. I right. Yes. right. Um, this is a topic that we've done before, but just the two of us. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to have a new uh, a new mm-hmm. sort of list in the, in the mix and a new um, take on the on the concept in general, yeah. because you and I uh, we're talking about guilty pleasures. Yeah. And uh, if I recall correctly, you and I were talking about how it's it's very difficult to it's a, it's a phrase, and I, I don't remember. Uh, I believe a guest actually brought that up, but I don't remember who. That the idea of a guilty pleasure almost is it, it's. It, it seems, <laughs> I wrestled with it it's, a lot. Yeah, it, it seems like. Contrary to itself, like yeah. if you like it, then why do you? Why would you feel bad about it? And ultimately, I I I feel that I, as I've grown older, I, I've learned to embrace the fact that I like it. It's good. You know what I mean? If I like it, I like mm-hmm. it. And and so the term is just sort of like loosely phrased. So I I, you know, for example, the Rambo films are I love, <laughs> especially the first two. And the first second one I love for completely. I think the first one is legitimately really great and moving, and the second one is ridiculous. But it's just. Magnificent! I've just seen it like fifty times. Yeah. I think I saw it five times in the theater the summer it came out, and and so I t- I guess I wouldn't classify those as guilty pleasures because over the years I've just learned to completely embrace them and I know that I love them. Well, um, it sounds like uh, what, what, what we discovered when we talked about this before yeah. is that my guilty pleasures are almost all action films. Yeah, I mean, like you know. I, I, Commando. I mean, I love those <laughs> movies. Like, I grew up on them, and I love. They're kind of like. I mean, I love westerns very much. They're my favorites, but they're kind of like my generation's westerns. Mm, like they right. are like basically based on like a movie like Roadhouse is very much the western uh, sort yeah. of you know story. The stranger comes into town where the evil guy is like you know terrorizing everybody to straighten him up. You know, uh-huh. um, and those movies really were that like all the Bruce Willis the Die Hard movies and Last Boy Scout there are, those are kind of like you know the new westerns and the new sort of like 40s and 50s tough guy noir movies too you know yeah. that um, Lethal Weapons I don't feel guilty about those because I, I watch them and they're made with such skill like there weren't that many like really high octane sort of action movies at that time and those are made with a 
just like a cocaine steroid fuel, just like energy. <laughs> that just like I remember being like about. Well, a lot of them were made by were produced by Don Simpson, so yeah, they probably or, were. or Joel Silver, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, they just had this thing which I didn't identify as that at the time because I was you know fifteen, sixteen years old, but. You know, it just was like, wow, I just felt like charged up. I wanted to just like, you know, do something crazy after those movies, you <laughs> uh-huh. know. And um, so I guess I don't feel that guilty about them because they're really good. They're like a lot but of them have the, these like great scores. Not all of them are. Uh, yeah. yeah. But not all of them are well made. Like, I mean, Die Hard is very well made. Yeah. But Die Hard 2 is pretty dumb. And I just want to see like the guy get the ice pick shoved through his sure. eyes. Yeah. It's <laughs> or the uh, icicle. Reason. I mean, like, you know, I, lo- I enjoy all those a lot. But yeah, certainly he would. The first one is a classic. Yeah. Um, and Commando is, you know, basically a Rambo knockoff, which is just utterly ludicrous from like King director of the guilty pleasures, Mark L. Lester, who made Firestarter and Armed uh-huh. Dangerous with John Candy. And, and, you know, the films aren't <laughs> particularly made well, but gee, I like an awful lot of them. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, they're, they're, they're Commando, I believe, starts with him cutting down a tree and then carrying the he's tree. He's carrying an entire tree. Yeah, it's <laughs> not like a, he's not carrying a bunch of branches. He's, he's, he's carrying a whole tree, and you think that someone's sneaking up on him, and it's just his daughter, Alyssa Milano, Alyssa Milano. and it's yeah. followed by a credit sequence that includes them getting ice cream, feeding a deer, <laughs> uh, going swimming, and then, like, Two minutes later, he's like, kills like twenty people, <laughs> cuts heads off, and yeah. cuts a guy's arm off with a machete, and takes a guy's scalp off with a saw blade, and uh-huh. it's a pretty amazing movie. And I, I, I'm on the fence. I've got it on my guilty pleasures list, but like, I genuinely like it. And I, I you know, recently there was a director's cut that was issued in the last couple of years. Really, oh, good lord! And it includes this scene. Does it have any where more Bill Duke? Uh, n- you know, it's mostly like Rayon Chong stuff, which is like the worst <laughs> stuff in the movie. Yeah. But there's one amazing scene where James Olsen, who plays at the, um, the basically the Colonel Troutman uh, in, from Rambo in uh-huh. the Commando thing. I can't remember the character's name. And it's right after Arnold Schwarzenegger goes nuts at the mall. And <laughs> all the cops are there. Because in the movie, you're kind of like, wow, nobody really cares that like some maniac just went nuts in a mall and killed all these people. <laughs> so there's a scene where the cops are investigating. James Olsen shows up, and the cop's like, we're going to you know, cordon off the air. we got to find this guy. And James Olsen says to him, uh, paraphrasing, but he says, like, Captain, what would you do if, you were, if there was a hurricane? You'd tell all these people to go home and lock their doors. This man is a hurricane. <laughs> it's really amazing. <laughs> That's um, great. You almost expect him to say, "This is no man." Yeah, you know, I, mean, like, I mean, I'm like sure he Halloween. does. Like, I don't remember all of the all of the you know dialogue in the scene, but that's a really great movie. And I think that like um, Commando and Predator are the only are two movies that I've been yelled at in different apartment complexes I've lived at because they're so <laughs> effing loud. Yeah, <laughs> especially I think Predator more because. And I'm absolutely not guilty about that. That's a brilliant movie. Right. Yeah, what, when Bill Duke is firing off that giant yeah. gun. <laughs> and it's just like it, uh, incredible loudness for like three minutes while he, he mows down an entire forest. Yeah. <laughs> and then oh, that, that that sound of when it's out of bullets yeah, and it's just <laughs> spinning. Oh, so great. We were talking about that the other day when, when it's like when he's he, – his habit is he has a plastic disposable razor that he's always shaving himself with. He yeah, just dry have, shaving. Yeah, yeah, and it's like snaps when he hears the predator. He's like, 
Yeah, and he bleeds. Uh, he's what a great performance. Yeah. Bill, Bill, Bill Duke, Duke seems to be the uh, the through line Fantastic. here. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, he's great. We were talking about him the other day. When we were just talking about a bunch of things with him. He has that great scene in the Limey too. I love yeah. that scene. Yeah. 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 Oops, there go my slippery fingers. <laughs> There's only one thing I don't understand. The one thing I don't understand is every motherfucking thing you word you say. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm kind of getting off target a little bit because I want to talk about movies that I would be embarrassed to say that I like or that I recognize are not good or badly mm-hmm. made in some way, but I've seen multiple times. And I couldn't necessarily say to someone... That's a great movie. You got to see it. But I like it. Uh-huh. And I guess that those would be guilty pleasures. Well, I'll tell you a story. A story that happened to me yesterday, in ah. fact. Um, so uh, on on the uh, Battleship Pretension Forum, as well as the forum for my, uh, my other podcast, so I guess uh, this person listens to both, um, he said, hey, everybody, let's become Netflix friends. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, and I, the idea, I like the idea of that, actually, that, you know, it's it's a way for listeners and the, and David and myself to, you know, interact in a very in a much more tangible way, which is, hey, I just saw this movie and here's the star rating I gave it and that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> so I thought, oh, all right. So I click I click. Yes, I'll be friends with this guy. Uh, and then I've actually in looking at it, I was like, oh, I guess I'm already friends with uh, a friend of ours from uh, Chicago. And I forgot. And I was like, I guess I already have this friend thing going. <laughs> um, at which point I saw that um, it's possible for your Netflix friends to see what you've wa- right. what you've watched instantly. Right. And it's just like, ugh. I know. I feel guilty about a lot of things. I Not not <laughs> guilty in the sense it's just like, oh, I feel immoral about it. But just like, I, you know, the, the Netflix watch instantly, that's when I sample things that I watched when I was a kid. And... They don't. Have, kn- they don't know that. That's why I'm watching. I it. have a friend that that watched like a movie starring his ex girlfriend. Like, <laughs> and I, I don't know if his girlfriend saw it, but I saw it. And I've been actually reminding me. I mean, to tell him that, to make sure that he knows that you can see that because, like, if she sees that, she she won't be too happy about it. Yeah. Yeah, and and so like there's there are some movies that I loved when I was a kid because uh, as David is to uh, action films, I find I am very much to gory horror right. films, and violence bothers me. Uh, especially, especially as I've gotten older, um, but like well done, ridiculous gore. Yes, and of course, <laughs> there's well done gore, which is realistic. Then there's well done, ridiculous gore, which is just so over the top. It's like, well, heads don't explode when you just shoot them with a bullet, right. you know. <laughs> um, but just they do in my world. <laughs> exactly right. In the in a perfect world, um, it'd just be it'd just be a bunch of closed casket casket funerals. Yeah. I just watched the uh, zombies' heads explode. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I, I, well, I watched the um, the Dawn of the Dead remake the other night. Uh, uh, yeah. It being Halloween, and that part when Andy, the gun store owner, you know, and they they yeah. go over there and he's turned into a to to a zombie, and and Bing Rams is like, "Sorry, brother," and shoots him with the shotgun, and everything above his like jaw yeah. just. Vaporizes. Fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> and so I, I I watched some movies back uh, back when I was very young. My brother and I used to uh, watch like uh, USA, like late at night. Uh, night flight. Is that what it was? It would wa- in would, the eighties? I mean, you guys yeah. were a little younger. I don't know. But oh, I still I still watch yeah, them. There was, yeah, there was a show called Night Flight that showed weird cults. Okay, stuff and it might have been that because there was one called there was a trauma film called Fortress of America, uh-huh. America with three Ks. Even though it had <laughs> had nothing to do with KKK. Anyway, there was trying to get people that one. There was one that I realize now upon rewatching it is primarily a comedy, but still incredibly gross, and it was called Street Trash. 
I don't know that one. Yeah, and it's uh, don't bother watching it, but <laughs> uh, it's about like this uh, beverage. It was a lot, in a lot of ways. It was the like stuff. the the stuff, uh-huh. um, but this beverage basically people drink it and then they just like melt, and uh, and so nobody knows that. By the way, like when Sierra they drink Mist, it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Doesn't that do that? Slow down there. I know we can't say that. I'm not. I'm not I, that was a joke, people. <laughs> it's not a legal thing. I Lawyers. like Sierra Mist. <laughs> oh, okay, I'm sorry. So. <laughs> Um, but anyway, and so, so the the gore of uh, Street Trash and Fortress of America, more so Street Trash, because it's it's a ridiculous premise. And Fortress of America, they seem. I think they thought they were making a statement uh, about yeah. uh, about like cults and stuff like that. Um, but like a guy gets like his arms ripped off because he gets tied bet- Why to are you a tree. Me and... Not to watch this. It sounds like my. Uh, <laughs> it might be right up your alley. Um, but street trash. It's got a thing where. Why is it called street trash? Do they turn into trash that goes on the street? Uh, well, a lot of it up? takes place at like a dump because it's all these like uh, a lot of the characters are homeless and there's a character who uh, is about to like hurt. Uh, he's it's it's the pivotal scene and this guy's kind of a villain, um, and uh, we know he's a villain because there's an earlier scene where he. Uh, uh, where a man is urinating and he cuts off the man's penis and they have a, g- a game of keep away. That's quite so, villainous. Yes, oh. that, admittedly, if that happened to me, I'd be yeah. like, you know, I don't like this guy. There's oh, something no, about you him. you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, anyway, so th- he's about to do something terrible uh, at the end and someone, because why wouldn't there be like, a, like an oxygen, like a big oxygen tank like in Jaws sure. sitting around in the, at the dump? And uh, so someone decides, oh, I, I don't know what to do. Here's what I'll do. So they get a hammer and they knock, they knock the end off of the ox- oxygen tank that turns it into something like a rocket. Yes. Uh-huh. And it knocks his head off. <laughs> and it goes flying as it would, of course. Yeah. And it knocks his head this clean off. This is all off. documented science. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I saw it on Mythbusters. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they couldn't bust that one. Um, <laughs> they... they uh, they had a credit for technical advisor. Oddly enough, yeah. there was just no one next to it, and so <laughs> technical advisor, yeah, some uh, lunatic. Yeah. So they, uh, so then you see Professor his head. Irwin Corey was the technical advisor. So you you see his his head laying there, and blood is shooting out of the stump, but his eyes are still moving around. And there's a scene where the woman that he was about to possibly violate, I don't quite recall mm-hmm. the circumstances. I, it was probably something like that. Right. And, um, out of your mind. Right. <laughs> and so uh, she's like, oh, I'm safe. And so she, she, walks, she walks over his head. And then you see his eyes look up because she's wearing a skirt, of course. Yeah. And you see, like, the, the slightest hint of a smile. It's and then, and then and then his head dies. The end. <laughs> the end of Freddy versus Jason, where it's like Jason wins because he's got Freddy's head, but then Freddy like his eyes open and he winks at the camera. It's like you know, is that a draw? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so these are these are movies that I loved as a kid. Yeah, and uh, I watch them now, and uh, out of curiosity more than anything, and right. I can appreciate some of the ridiculous uh, violence that they. Because you can just tell how much fun they had creating yeah. that head. Uh, but at the same time, you're just like, I don't want people on Netflix knowing that I'm watching this, <laughs> right. you know, late at night. Like, I still haven't seen It's a Wonderful Life, but I did get a chance to watch Street Trash again. <laughs> I, love I love that I've never seen Gone with the Wind, but I've seen Last Boy Scout like 20 times. <laughs> but, uh, so well, what, are some, what are some of yours? Okay, I'm sorry. so I don't know when this is going to air or be uh, reviewable for listening, what do you call it? But T- uh, tomorrow night. Yeah. Today is Halloween. Uh-huh. And in honor of Halloween, I am going to make a very controversial statement and say that my favorite 
film in the Halloween series is Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. It's oh. a good one. Which is really good, which I think, I mean, maybe I'm on the fence about it being a guilty pleasure because over the years I really like have grown to appreciate it. It's incredibly ridiculous and silly. As I called it, I said it's the, the best film ever about a plot to harness the power of Stonehenge to turn kids' heads into snakes. <laughs> that apparently seems to be the plot of the movie. But it's made with such skill. It was, of course, produced by John Carpenter. And mm-hmm. I thought that it was called Season of the Witch, and they added Halloween 3 on to get people to watch it. But I, I was doing my research about it today, and it turns out that a Carpenter, you know, Michael Myers dies in Halloween 2. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And so Carpenter decided he wanted to do a different one every year. Um about a different subject with Halloween in the title. Yeah. But because this film did so badly, I think mostly because people were so let down that it wasn't a Michael Myers movie, uh, he sort of dropped that plan. Well, I'd heard, I don't know if this is, uh, that he wanted to do this one for the second film, but the, the studio, because of the success of the first, the studio wanted another Michael Myers That might Myers be true. Film. I don't know. I know that he didn't direct the second one and he was only marginally involved with it, so right. it, that may be true. I don't know. But this one was originally... Um, Supposed to be directed by Joe Dante, who's a great director. One and, of my uh, all-time favorites. Uh, one of my all-time favorites as well, and, and uh, someone that I know personally. He's a great guy. And uh, Really? Yeah. And he's, huh. uh, he's could, a very Could, could you get guy. him for the show? <laughs> uh, maybe. I don't know. Let's huh? see. Maybe we'll talk okay. to him. I know him through my brother. You know, he, he, He's, as I said, a big cinephile, so he has a lot of people come up to. I, I saw him. I saw him once. I went to the, the Egyptian to see a triple feature of Hammer films. Oh yeah, he, sh- yeah, he, he shows a lot of stuff there and at the Bad New it, Beverly too. Yeah, he wasn't announced or anything, but I, I think he sh- he was just such a fan of the films they were showing that yeah. he like asked, "Hey, do you mind if I introduce the films?" Yeah, that's and cool. <laughs> it was really cool. He's a real nice guy. Uh, but uh, he started working with a writer whose name I don't recall, and then that writer, Dino De Laurentiis, you know, is famous for he was one of the you know the producers who taken over and he didn't speak English very well and didn't understand the dialogue and changed it so much <laughs> that this guy like <laughs> just took his name off of it and Car- uh-huh. and uh and I think Carpenter maybe is credited with the story but Tommy Lee Wallace who was you know had work with Carpenter I think as an AD or as a producer um it was the first movie he directed and um he's fi- he's the voice of the famous TV announcer who yeah. says it's time, it's time. Gather around, all you witches, all you goblins. Watch the magic screen, watch. What's, and the, what's the song? Do you remember how oh, it yeah. goes? Oh, yeah. Boom, 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 boom. Three more days till Halloween, Halloween, <laughs> yeah. Halloween. Three more days till Halloween, Silver Shamrock. I uh, I I went to see a, uh, a Doug Benson loves interrupting Halloween movies uh, or horror movies, and uh, Jimmy Pardo was there playing that song over and over again, awesome. just saying, like, Hey, yes, this will drive you insane if you just because it's the it's the song for the menu uh, on the oh, DVD. Right, exactly. So like he, he he turned it on and he was like doing something else and just kept hearing that song over and over. It's like I think I'm gonna have to put a gun in my it's mouth. Fantastic. I mean, it's you know it's the story of uh, you know Connell Cochran, the head of of uh, Silver Shamrock Novelties, a a strange, mysterious um, novelty you know, practical joke store, something that we don't know much about now, but in the 70s and 80s were pretty prevalent, like stores mm-hmm. that sold fake vomit and stuff like that. A company called Silver Shamrock that's making these Halloween masks, and there's going to be a big giveaway on Halloween where you watch this uh, signal, and uh, all the kids are supposed to watch it with their mask on. And um, this character, a doctor, who is, like, confronted with a murder by robots at his hospital one <laughs> night, gets obsessed, 
and goes with an incredibly underage girl who is Stacy Nalkin, who was Woody Allen's real life underage girlfriend at the time. The one that Manhattan, the character of Ariel Hemingway plays right. in Manhattan is based on. I mean, he's this doughy, like middle aged guy who drinks and smokes a lot. For some reason, she's really into him. <laughs> and they go to Santa Mira, the town that uh, the factory is located at, which is the same town from the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers, by the way. Hmm. And uh, uncover this plot by this guy to play the greatest joke of all a joke <laughs> on the children. And somehow they've they've managed to steal one of the rocks from Stonehenge. They take pieces from it and put them in these little chips that they put into the masks. At the, when the kids watch with the masks on, and we know this because we see them perform a few tests, it turns their head into bugs and snakes. Uh-huh. Um, I don't fucking have any idea why, uh, but... It is just so entertaining, and it's beautifully photographed by Dean Cundey, who who shot a lot of Carpenter's earlier movies, um, Escape from New York and The Thing, which is my personal favorite, and and uh, just really great like widescreen, um, you know, cinemascope cinematography. And the movies were low budget, so like they had to be creatively lit to cover <laughs> mm-hmm. things. But it's really beautiful, and it's got a score by Carpenter and Alan Haworth, who is his usual partner, and. Uh, it is ridiculous and silly and funny, but it's it's genuinely creepy. It has a really bleak ending where he gets all the TV stations except one to turn off the signal, and it ends with him screaming, shut it off, shut it off, and then it just like goes black. Uh-huh. Atkins, and and uh, it, it it's it's got a creepy vibe to it, and and the and Dan O'Harelly who who plays Connell Cochran, you know, you know from the who runs the company RoboCop and mm. many other films, but. Um, it's also Robinson, Robinson Crusoe in the, the 50s or 60s version of that uh, is real evil. He does a slow clap when they get one over on him, when they dump all the uh, <laughs> chips uh, down on the ground, and then all the lasers come out of the uh, Stonehenge rock and turn his head into a giant spinning, whirling, glowing thing and explodes him. <laughs> right when he realized they've got one over on him, he does. He looks up and sees them and does the slow clap, which is fantastic. And... Uh, I, I watch it all the time, and my, my old roommate points out that there was a time when neither of us were doing well at all, and you know, I eventually was selling off my entire DVD collection, which was pretty um, pretty big collection. Mm-hmm. I only started rebuilding it again in '05, and it's huge now and includes Blu-ray and everything too. But uh, for the longest time. I would not sell my Halloween three. I got rid of everything. I mean, I got rid of you know on the waterfront and Mean Streets and stuff and Jaws, but I wouldn't get rid of that. I think because we just watched it so much, and it was also like one of these Good Times videos DVDs where like before Universal was you know they were just licensing their stuff out in the uh-huh. early days of DVD, and Good Times was one of the small companies where you could buy it at like a Walgreens or whatever, and it yeah. was out of print, so. You couldn't see that much, and now it's 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 pretty widely available. But uh, I never let go of that I was starving, and I never let go of it. Yeah. And I think I got could have got a few extra bucks for it because it was out of print. But uh, I love that movie. I just think it's great. Well, it got you through some tough times. Yeah, Why would you get rid of I mean, it? You know, do, do they still have those too. at Walgreens? It was like two and three dollar DVDs because yeah, there's some real well, gems in like there. Like Floss movies and stuff, right. you know, like a big. Eight pack of Content Floss movies. Or they have. Uh, I, I bought. <laughs> I bought Nosferatu there with a score by Typo Negative. Have you watched that yet? <laughs> I haven't watched. I watched it. it the other day when we were gonna do a profile on FW Murnau, and uh, boy, oh boy, how's the score? Well, the the score by 
by typo negative. They just play typo negative music. Right. Oh, typo negative did not. Did no, not. that's it, what a and lot it, of that stuff was. Because in the movies, public domain, but yeah. you know, they just put some sound over it. it, it <laughs> I remember I had an old Felix the Cat cartoon one that we gotten from the Walgreens. That was like the original black and white ones, and it was like this music that was, it was like 1983. So it was just this like horrible synth music over all of it. They had the the Walgreens by uh, where Tyler and I lived in in Chicago had and I didn't I didn't buy it and it was gone and I really wish I had to this day but um, there were a series of, of documentaries made during World War II um, that that were you know uh, I guess uh, Frank Capra Frank Capra did yeah. the Why We Fight and stuff like that but there were other ones that other directors did and John Huston made this one called The Battle of San Pietro yeah. which is in color it's great and yeah, it's, it's amazing yeah. and uh, they had it there for like two bucks and I, and I didn't buy it I was like oh, I'll, I'll give it later I didn't have any cash it's or something something because like I've seen it it's really? on DVD but I should, I should find should that it's, it's really amazing no I, I'm sorry I was off I was <laughs> no, off topic we just talking about the Walgreens DVDs you guys lived in Chicago yeah, right. yeah. Um, let's see so now here's I'm not <laughs> I've not seen Halloween 3. No? Season of the Witch. You should watch it tonight. Yeah. It <laughs> absolutely sounds like I should. And you don't have to see the first two. It's, it's that, yeah, that's the, yeah. I'm uh, sorry. I've, I've ruined some of it for you. But. It's, you know, it's fine. You know, I, I, somehow I feel like I could still enjoy it. What I like about it is, while destri- describing the plot, you had to breeze over things that could be a plot in and of themselves. Sure. And I th- and I love that. The I theft like, of a Stonehenge rock could be a, a heist movie, <laughs> that, an yeah. oceans movie, <laughs> you know, just in itself. And it's really just a minor thing. You hear about it on the news in the background at the beginning, and then you find out it's because they, you know, have stolen it. Well, all they need is one commando to just carry that big rock, and uh, you know they. And he gives this really long speech about why he's doing it that makes no sense at all, and it ends with like like I said that line, the biggest greatest joke of all, the joke on the children, but he. He goes in this whole thing of like every Hallow's Eve in Ireland, and I don't even know. If I remember it all. It's just like history of like the, the Druids and you know some like old clan that you know played trick, and that's what their companies, novelty companies, playing tricks on people. So now they're gonna pull the ultimate trick by, uh-huh. as I said, turning the kids' heads into insects and snakes. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if that's so much a, a trick as it is. Uh, Oh, like a form of terrorism, I think. It's a form of ter- and I and I, I think I'm I'm not I'm kind of acting like that's the whole plot, but like <laughs> there's more. Well, as to why you're kind of like why does he want to turn the kids' heads into snakes? But the, he does a <laughs> test thing, like on a test family, like a, a toy store owner that comes to his company, and they have like him in a room where they show him the commercial and the yeah. kids got the mask on, and the snakes like eat, you know. Uh, bite and poison the parents. So I guess that that's the ultimate effect is just wipe everybody out. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what think. a delightful trick. Yeah. And there's a scene in a motel where Tom Atkins, it's like post-coital with Tom Atkins and Stacey Nelkin, where his, <laughs> he's a great, great character actor, and, and but it's like his like doughy, middle-aged, white male body. <laughs> like, you'd never see that in a movie now. And he's, like, drinking a Coors, and it's just, like, <laughs> he's got these, like, ch- chicken arms, and it's just, like, like, you know, he's got man boobs, and, and, all stuff. and I think it's supposed to be sexy, but it's just, like, not. But it's got some really great stuff in it, and it's it's uh, it's got these, you know, one of the things that he, he created is are these robots, basically, like, cyborgs, but they're built like when you take them apart, they're just built with like clockwork stuff, like cogs and stuff that look incredibly <laughs> lifelike and realistic. And they go out and kill people at his bidding. 
Um, and uh, when you punch them, this like orange goo comes out. <laughs> oh, nice. Because <laughs> why wouldn't you make a robot really that bleeds? Good, man. It's, it's, uh, I recommend it. I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm starting to feel like I have nothing to be guilty about. Here. I think it's a, <laughs> yeah. It's a You've really talked yourself movie. out of this topic. Yeah, there's, a, there's, a, there's also that great scene where the woman who's like sort of a skeptic, she's another person that comes to like buy the mask for her toy store. She finds that it's like a microchip inside the thing, and she mm-hmm. starts scratching at it, and it's just big laser like shoots into her mouth. <laughs> and you're like, "Well, it's really loud." And and Tom Atkins is banging the young girl next door in the motel room, and he's like, "Did you hear anything?" And then she's like, "No." And they just keep doing it, <laughs> and then it cuts back. The woman, her face is all like, Bruh, and like the spiders crawling out of her mouth and stuff. It's pretty good. <laughs> this this thing, it's good. It's good year long, year you round. Know, I got to assume that it's like it's gone in the last couple of years to start they started showing them in those all night horror fest they started showing this and it's it's appreciation has grown they released the soundtrack and um i remember i was at a screening of the thing i think last year and and uh, alan howarth was there and he he mentioned that the, his score was going to be released for halloween three and like like a lot everybody in the audience like applauded so <laughs> it's like it's cool to like like again and 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 people are referring to it or not there was like a lot of twitters and stuff today where they like link the the silver shamrock commercial uh-huh. and stuff so <laughs> and my brother found a t-shirt that has this great image from the movie on it that he sent to me of uh it's a it's it, it, it looks a lot like and i, I suppose it was inspired because it's the year after et it's the kids trick-or-treating and it's a big you've seen it right yeah mm-hmm. so it's like that shot of like it's like the silhouettes of a witch i think a ghost and like a goblin it's and vaguely it's Seventh Seal esque. Really yeah. like haunting because it's all kind of like stretched out and orange light and everything. Yeah, and it's really cool looking. But I got a T-shirt with that on it now. Oh. <laughs> and my buddy at the same time found a T-shirt with a big. I think his girlfriend gave it to him. A, a big Tom Atkins head and says <laughs> Atkins. <laughs> <laughs> we wear those together. <laughs> Only around the house. So what? What else is on? Is on your I list? I want to get laid again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, since we're in this sort of horror sci-fi i guess a lot of these are that um this is a movie that's not nearly as good and i i I don't think i can talk as lovingly about it as as i did halloween three season of the witch um and it's a director who started off pretty strong and and really makes pretty awful movies and and i think this movie's probably awful but i watched and i just couldn't believe it and i was so taken with it i watched it again I'm like, I think this is good, and I my my brother Jim, who I talked about earlier, is is kind of like a barometer, and I'm like, I, you got to watch this, <laughs> and because we both love Death Wish three, and I didn't include that on this because I think that's just bad, but I love it, so I couldn't really like say that I'm guilty about it. I mean, I just know it's bad, but I've seen it twenty times. This movie kind of falls into that category, I guess, but there's something so compelling about it, and it's from 2003, and it's called Dreamcatcher. <laughs> and it was directed by Lawrence Kasdan, who who was once the great screenwriter of, of Raiders of the Lost Ark, and of course he went on to direct Body Heat and, and Silverado and The Big mm-hmm. Chill, and um, and then just a bunch of shit. Uh, <laughs> and um, I think his latest thing is he wrote the remake of Clash of the Titans. Oh, really? But uh, this is an adaptation of a Stephen King novel, uh-huh. uh, which f- I haven't read the novel, but from what I can tell is just pages from his other books <laughs> string together <laughs> so it's the it's uh i don't know have you guys seen this movie no no okay. i haven't gotta, i've, I've heard a lot of see it after this i've heard a lot of stories because uh we had a uh, a guest on named mike siegel who had to who does like junkets and stuff right and uh, 
he did the junket for that, and he just said Morgan. He he was interviewing Morgan Freeman, yeah. and he just could not seem less interested in talking about this movie. <laughs> yeah, but you know he's kind of amazing in the movie. He plays this evil warmongering general. Like, you could tell Morgan Freeman was like, what is this shit? And was just like, all right, my character's going to have giant eyebrows. And so for some reason, he has giant eyebrows, which don't play into anything. But but they're fantastic. But the plot... Does the movie end, real quick, does the movie end with Morgan Freeman flying away in a helicopter and then, like, Damien Lewis or whatever gives him the finger? Is that... Uh, the, the, The image, the lasting image I remember from the end is the retarded Donnie Wahlberg... Who loves Scooby Doo? Smashing the, the alien and turning like in a magnetic, like electrical light and dissolving. <laughs> <laughs> someone I know Sorry on some message it. board has as their picture like this GIF of someone that might giving the finger the to a, a helicopter as it flies away. Let's backtrack. So we have <laughs> the plot of the young kids that are kind of outcasts who band together, which is it, and also uh-huh. Stand by Me. Yeah, right. Um, and I can't remember if you find this out in the beginning or later, but. They also happen to share the the gift of all having um, uh, ESP of some kind, which they all yeah. share together. Uh-huh. Um, which you find out is just That's a lucky. device to find out things later. Uh-huh. But like when it's not convenient for them to have it, they don't have it at all, and there's no explanation for it. And uh, something, something, and one of them is a retarded kid who's played by um, Donnie Wahlberg, and I think he has like cancer and he's dying in a hospital or something. He's sick. He's just and, a triple threat, this kid. Yeah, and they have a um, – they, they have their – I don't know if it's like their yearly thing or they decide to have a reunion of some kind when they're older. And it's uh, Damian Lewis, as you said, and, uh-huh. and Jason Lee and uh, a couple other – Thomas Jane, I believe. Thomas Jane, yeah, and uh, maybe one other guy. And um, and they decide to get together this cabin in the woods in the, in the uh, uh, you know, wintry woods somewhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, they all share the gift of ESP together. But the ESP, for some reason, has not told them that there's going to be an alien invasion (laughs) right there, (laughs) which is something totally separate. (laughs) And I believe – I could be wrong, and maybe I'll get hate mail for this. But I think that the military is there for some other reason too. But maybe they're there because they know the alien invasion is coming. The military is made up of – led by Morgan Freeman, as you said, as a general with – a gray Arsenio flat top and giant eyebrows that spiral outward <laughs> and Tom Sizemore as his, uh, you know, uh, underling. And, um, and there's an alien invasion and the aliens, um, let's see if I remember this correctly. They get into the people's stomach somehow uh-huh. and yeah. then their people's asses explode. Ass weasels. They're yeah, referred they're ass to weasels. as. Yeah. And like, I don't know if like Lawrence Kasdan was like having problems with hemorrhoids at the time <laughs> or something, or if that's something in the book. I, I, I don't know. Uh, but they're monsters that aliens that explode out of people's asses. And then it, it's like insane. I mean, I, I'm let's talking about it now. I'm just like, all these disparate elements come together somehow. It's fucking ridiculous. I mean, it's like, it, it just is so silly. But is, so Why is it called Dreamcatcher? I'm trying to remember. <laughs> I, mean, I remember that there's a Dreamcatcher on the poster. Uh-huh. And maybe that has something to do with what, how they gain their psychic powers or something. I'm trying to remember. There's also a really weird plot device where Damian Lewis basically gets possessed by the alien Mr. Gray. Uh-huh. Known as Easter Gay by the the retarded Donnie Wahlberg, and I apologize if I offend anybody by using that word. It's uh. mentally challenged, and uh, he uh, 
he's possessed by this alien who's the one of the Greys, so they call him Mr. Gray. And so Damian Lewis plays an American in the movie, but when you, the, you, he, his split personality, when he's the alien, he has an English, his own British accent. Uh-huh. And he does this by switching, turning his head from left to right. And when he does that, the camera also switches just to make sure you're not confused. <laughs> like, a, like a golem uh, in Lord of the Rings, yeah, kind sure. of. Yeah, Actually, I think it predates that. So uh-huh. I think Peter Jackson was ripping him off. Thievery. But uh, it's just incredibly awkward and weird. And... Um, and then the real Damian Lewis, who's possessed by the alien, um, you know, because he has this uh, um, power of ESP of some kind, hides in the corner of his mind where he can find out how to get out, which is literally a set, which is a library that's supposed to be inside his mind where he's like researching, wow. trying to figure out how to get out. This is either something from the book or something from the once great turned hack screenwriter, William Goldman, who wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> like came up with this really lazy device of like explaining something that was probably really complex uh-huh. in the book. And uh, again, I, I apologize. I haven't read the book and, and I, I don't know if these are things that are in the novel. Maybe Stephen King hates it, but there's something that's incredibly just so weird and entertaining about it. I always say like a bad movie is one that's boring, mm-hmm. you know, and, I've seen this like three times. And I, I never get tired of it. It's really long too, <laughs> uh, and um, and there's this just crazy scene where they, the uh, Morgan Freeman sends his like you know B twenty uh, bombers to like shoot down this a group of the aliens that are running across this empty field, and it's just like this giant set piece that's just unbelievable. <laughs> um, uh, but I, I recommend it for for many many reasons. Uh, not the least of which is is Morgan Freeman's. Um, he plays a character called. I think his name is Colonel Curtis, but I think in the book his name is Colonel Kurtz. <laughs> like it's a direct apocalypse now. Uh-huh. He's a crazy like guy, military guy who's gone crazy, if, which includes apparently not trimming his eyebrows. <laughs> seems to be the dominant uh, characteristic of that. What I remember anything from that character, but. Um, Dreamcatcher, I would never say. That really is a guilty pleasure because I wouldn't say that I tell anybody to see it unless it was like I'm telling you guys because I know you'll appreciate it. Right, yeah. And you'll probably appreciate it more now, but it's, it is pleasurable to watch. <laughs> um, so I was talking, I, I mentioned that the film was really long, and um, I'm going to get hammered for this one, I know. And I don't even know if I can defend it. But in 1997, at Christmas, I was invited to a uh, my brother because he worked at the Chicago Film Festival at the time. Uh-huh. Got his last screening ticket, so we went to see Kevin Costner's The Postman. It was a <laughs> pr- advanced screening at uh, the Fine Arts Theater downtown Chicago, Michigan Avenue, and uh, I remember the. It was before it came out, or the reviews came out, and it was coming out at Christmas time, and expected to be a big release. And it was the first movie directed after winning a couple of Oscars uh-huh. for Dances with Wolves. And I never heard people boo like this at the end of a movie, like people standing up just like screaming boo at the screen. And there was no question in my mind that he's an insane person, Kevin Costner. <laughs> I mean, this movie's insane, but yeah. there's no questioning his. It's directed so beautifully. Like, he is a really talented director who, unfortunately, is crazy. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just, like, the first hour of that movie is legitimately, like, really good. 
I'm a sucker for a post-apocalyptic, you know, dystopian uh, mm-hmm. uh, universe, and um, it starts off really good, and he's in this, gets inducted into this cult. Was it the Cult of Three or whatever? Where he's yeah, the prisoner of the evil Will Patton, who's fantastic in it, and yeah. And they have to fight each other for challenge of the rule of is the rule of eight. I think it's eight. I, can't, I haven't seen it in, on in a long arm. time. I, I tried to look at it a little bit. I actually got the Blu-ray, and I, I wanted to watch a little of it in preparation for this, but I didn't get a chance to. <laughs> but the first hour is like really good, and they're fighting within. And James Russo is one of the guys, and and um, and uh, there's a beautiful scene where they show the movies at night, where they project these like yeah. 35 millimeter prints onto a screen and. They show the sound of music a lot, a lot, like all the like tough guys like to watch the sound of music. But one of the movies is The Searchers, and they're watching it, and it, it's one of the most amazing things I've seen in a movie. I still don't know how he did it. It goes from showing this clip of The Searchers on the screen, and then it, he morphs it. He does a uh, dissolve into a scene in the Postman of a guy on a horse. Uh-huh. That's like so beautiful, like just to like think about um, and how he conceived of it and how he executed it. And then it just gets ridiculous where he, you know, finds a dead postman and takes the mail and delivers it to this. um, This is after he escapes from the cult to Uh this uh, walled off city who and they don't really know what's going on inside. And he delivers the mail um, and gives them a lot of news that they've been waiting for that. So and so was all right or whatever. But the mail is like really old because. When he finds the postman who's dead, he's a skeleton. Uh-huh. He's still in his postman costume. <laughs> and he claims that he's the postman, and he becomes this sort of like reluctant hero where he's delivering mail to people from one walled-off city to another to ye- reunite the United States because Will Patton, the evil leader, has disbanded the United States of America, right. and he needs to unite the United States of America again, which you know reveals all of his really... Republican instincts, which goes against you know everything that I believe, but I find it fascinating, and um, and the postman becomes the symbol for reuniting the United States of America, which has basically been taken over by these commie anarchists who have uh-huh. killed it, and how he's going to do that is by being a U.S. Postal Service, <laughs> and this is uh, most remembered by most in the scene that looks like a Coca-Cola commercial from 1979, where he rides by in his postal outfit on his horse, and the young boy has a, a letter and hears him come and comes out, but he's already passed. And the little boy looks really sad, and he shrugs. And way down the street, Kevin Costner realizes this. He stops his horse. He turns around. And in slow motion, he rides towards the boy with his hand out. And the boy puts his hand out. And <laughs> yeah. he's like, da 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 snatches the letter from the boy. And the boy is, like, I think crying or something. And it's just like this, like, wow, like... Kevin Costner should have just directed a commercial for the U.S. Postal Service. (laughs) But this is all brought to an amazing – you think that that's enough, but the last scene in the movie is – takes place years after he saved America Uh and he's dead where they unveil a statue of him. Somehow someone was there (laughs) and has a photographic image of him getting the letter exactly from the boy. It's a bronze statue of him. So uh, take into account a lot of things here. This is a guy who's directing a movie about himself, and his final scene is the unveiling of the statue of himself and how <laughs> amazing he is, which is kind of the theme of the whole movie. Um, and it cuts to an adult, like a young man, who cries, and uh-huh. he's looking at the like, little kid on the statue, and he says, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, 
My brother pointed out to me that, like, you know, it's a, it's a, a tribute to Kev, uh, Kevin Costner's ego that he's referred to in the movie only as the postman, uh-huh. Shakespeare, because he he go travels around doing plays at the beginning, uh-huh. and only the greatest man who ever lived. That's the <laughs> only way that he's ever referred to. He casts his daughter, who is, I think, 13 or 14 at the time, as a girl who naturally has a crush on him. And is in love with him. <sighs> oh, um, I didn't know that. He also cast Tom Petty. Yeah, in, Tom Petty as uh, Tom Petty. <laughs> He's like, are you? Yep. And he rides around in a hot air balloon, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Which is also a uh, device in uh, Waterworld. Michael Jeter has is like the I've Wizard of Oz. And he's like, I've never means, seen Waterworld. That's as bad. But, uh, but uh, Tom Petty, yeah. not... Not not a not a gifted thespian as, as I recall. Well, from just his. it's like he's just tired or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's almost like they like shot him in bed and then just like digitally like <laughs> served him into the movie. It's kind of like Frank Sinatra and Cannibal Run too. He didn't even bother to show up with the rest of the actors. He just he's like in his house in Palm Springs and they're in Hollywood somewhere and it just <laughs> cuts to a shot of like an extra's head and and that's supposed to be him and then it just cuts to him he's clearly like in a different room the song quality's totally different and everything yeah Tom's not real present but it's kind of kind of a funny joke and a weird joke um that's Tom Petty as himself and the postman says that you know he, he has to convince everybody that there still is the United States of America so he tells everybody that there is a president and his name is Richard Starkey which is Ringo Starr's real name and everyone starts to believe in his bullshit and uh <laughs> What I have to say about this that I find kind of most amazing is that it's it's nearly three hours long. I'm looking on here. It's 177 minutes, and I just am not bored by it. I think the first hour is genuinely great. I think the rest of it is weird and just, like, crazy, egomaniacal weirdness, but I, 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 I'm never bored, and I've seen it. I There's a really uncomfortable times. scene towards the beginning with uh, – uh, of a, there's a, a bunch of like mentally handicapped children, uh-huh. and he ca- I mean, they're, he cast actual mentally right. handicapped people, and he's trying to sneak around, and the one kid like doesn't know to be quiet or something. Yeah. And it's, it, it, the whole thing seemed really uncomfortable yeah. and kind of in poor taste it's to off. me. Yeah, he's definitely something wrong with that guy. Yeah. Um, I wish that there was a scene where he's in Scotland and he and makes the ask the masseuse in his hotel to give him a hand job <laughs> like he did in real life. But he doesn't quite get that personal revealing about himself, but it's pretty revealing into the mind of a guy who's at the height of his power, who just kind of thought that he could do anything. And he, it's it's the movie is his own bronze stature, a statue of uh-huh. himself to himself uh, about yeah, how he's the you know only the greatest man who ever lived and the greatest American. Uh, so, yeah, that's The Postman from 1997, directed by Kevin Costner and written by Brian Helglin, who I talked about earlier, yeah. who was oh. I worked with on his um, on his film um, Payback. And I think at one point it was supposed to be a... Uh, the Postman was going to be Tom Hanks, and there was some big director that was going to do it. I can't remember who hmm. it was. It was like Spielberg or somebody like that. It was a, it was a pretty well-known and well-liked book. Huh. Um that turned into one of the biggest disasters of all time, and and people often cite it as one of the worst movies of all time. But uh, I don't know. This is a three-hour movie that I can watch repeatedly. I can't really <laughs> say I, I don't like it. You know, it is odd that uh, Kevin Costner is responsible for two of the biggest bombs. Waterworld actually is. Um, Did it make? Is a big was a big hit. Was it? Yeah, it was only that it was 
so expensive at the time, which probably seems like nothing now. I don't remember, but it actually did well, and it do, and it continues to do well on, on video and, uh, huh. and on TV and stuff. It, it, it's it's mistakenly judged. It was certainly a critical like yeah uh, you know failure, but it, it was actually a hit. Huh. A lot of people don't don't realize. That. I mean, I I saw it in the theater, and I uh, did too. I remember liking it, and then seeing it on uh, on Laserdisc a couple years later after it came out. I was like, I was trying to figure out why I thought it was good the first time I saw it, and I realized it was stoned. <laughs> uh, I liked. Uh, I love that the Universal logo at the beginning melts, <laughs> the ice caps melt, and they oh. just they, they to explain the movie. They just took whatever his name, Don LaFontaine's voiceover from the trailer. <laughs> the polar ice caps have melted. <laughs> People of Earth have adjusted to a new world. And then it says water world, and it shows the, you know, the universal logo, like you see everything melt and turn all to water. Uh, I do like Dennis Hopper in that movie. Yeah, he's all right. The smokers. The, the smokers, that's the right. The smokers that uh, you know, they all smoke. and have. He has an eye patch and is bald, and they ride water skis. What are they yeah. smoking? Cigarettes. They're called We're, Black Death Cigarettes. If it's all water, where are they getting tobacco? Where are they growing tobacco? They have these like ships that they 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 are like the hoarders of like the stuff that's left over. Uh-huh. And the greatest commodity is dirt. Uh-huh. If you can sell dirt, it's basically it's Mad Max, but instead right. of oil, it's dirt. It's right. the reverse of Mad Max, where you know it's all water, right? No dirt, right? But yeah. I mean, in in, in um, Road Warrior, it's oil, you know, and in, yeah. and, and in and in um. Uh, water world it's it's dirt because the uh, polar ice caps have melted <laughs> and uh, people have adjusted to a new world and kevin costner is a half man half fish yeah who rides his ship from port to port and he has gills behind his ears and i <laughs> believe in the first 15 minutes he drinks his own urine he sure does yeah now if i'm not mistaken the the uh oh. i believe the smokers the smokers ship is the exxon valdez is it yes. isn't it yes okay Which is kind of a clever joke yeah yeah but um i'm sorry i I, I should probably just see the movie. I have so you gotta many see questions. This, you gotta no. see this movie. Is he the only it, one who has gills, or do other people in the movie have gills? I believe he's the only one. I think he's the. I think he. They look. Just he's like the only one. Too. Crazy, <laughs> <laughs> I think he's the only one for a while, and then I think it isn't it. Is it revealed? I don't know later that movie on as that well there. As I know the postman. I, I think I okay. saw it two times, but I know it has one of those awful scores where it's just like like yeah. every five minutes and you're like there's nothing fucking happening like they I just think... they lifted the score from cutthroat island and put it <laughs> yeah. over yeah <laughs> at least that's the one good thing about cutthroat island we're not going to talk about that but it, it's also a movie like the last third of tango and cash tango and cash has monster trucks and Waterworld. they both feel like filmed versions of those stunt shows that you see at Universal City. <laughs> and in fact, they have a Waterworld stunt show at Universal now. I think really? it's still there. Yeah. But that, that's what most of it feels like, second unit, like these like, big battles, <laughs> like, uh-huh. stuntmen flying off water skis and stuff. And the, the last third of Tango and Cash, not that the rest of it's good, but just like it becomes like a second unit, a bunch of like monster trucks crushing each other for like a half hour. There is an element to Waterworld where it's like, why do they have all these ramps floating around? Yeah, right, <laughs> right. It yeah. doesn't seem very practical to me. Yeah. It's, it's, and I don't know what the people are going to do with the dirt. Are they going to build, like, bigger islands? Or That was like, going to be my, uh, my next question. Yeah, I don't – it's just, like, somebody came up with the concept and somebody went, oh, that's clever, and there was never anyone on the set that went, like, 
It's fucking stupid. Like, well, maybe it's the idea. Is. Maybe it's the idea behind gold. What is the practical purpose of gold? Uh, you know, yeah, someone yeah. just assigns value to it. Exactly. And, you know. Something that's valuable. It's something that's. But they're not, not using dirt as currency. They're selling dirt. They do use good dirt as currency. Oh, they do. Okay. okay. They yeah. go to like a Beyond Thunderdome, like Barter Town type place where he takes his uh, dirt. And you know, what is it? What, what is a town? Is it just a series of ships? Or so I think. It's like a bunch of scrap metal that's been put together yeah. to be like, like a big, like a floating fortress boxes. or something. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Oh. very similar. Do you guys ever read Snow Crash? The uh, Neil, Neil Stevenson. Stevenson. I read. Book. I haven't read. I've been told a lot about that. I read part of it for Is that, that about class. Nanotechnology. Uh, yeah, that's like one of. Oh no, I think. No, I the Diamond was, Age is the one okay, that's about that, nanotechnology. I haven't read any of his books, but I'm always told that. The Snow Crash is about like it, it's a. It was written in. Anyway, it, uh, this is way off topic. Never mind. But there's a <laughs> there's a part that, like this guy has a an aircraft carrier and he's like a cult leader, and people and he lives off the like the Pacific coast yeah. on this aircraft carrier, and all the people who follow him bring their boats out and they lash the boats together, and so it becomes this sort of huge like miles wide floating city of boats that are attached to each other. It's, I like the idea, and I a lot d- of people say that's what's going to happen. So there may be something in it. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that movie. Waterworld. Waterworld, Waterworld is the yeah. one I'm talking I'd, about. I'd like there to be a Snow Crash movie, but I don't know. People would have to listen to about an hour of like discussion of the Tower of Babel because that's a very important part of it. it doesn't really you just go with the alone in the dark thing and just have a long crawl at the beginning. <laughs> oh, yeah, we were talking about Uva all Yeah. And I've actually, I confess, I've, I've not seen any of his films, but... you got to see Alone in the Dark. And then you have to see, I think... That's the one with Tara Reid and, and Christian Slater. Yeah, right? yeah. That's but his A-list movie. And then, but then Postal, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I might actually have to consider it a guilty pleasure of my own because yeah, it's that not. Sounds freaky. But it, Postal is it's it's insane, but it, uh, of course because it's a bold. But it's also almost like a personal film where he's making statements sure. about his place in. Isn't in, like in Bin Laden cinema. a character in it? And and, stuff? Yeah, Bin Laden is a character. Uh, and yeah, the the movie ends with uh, Bin Laden and George W. Bush holding hands and skipping through a field. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I gotta, David. You and I, we gotta get together. We gotta watch Postal and Waterworld. Po- why don't you watch Postal and Postman? Mail <laughs> <laughs> night. I think I think that's the note Mails to end on. Mail night out. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. Um, well, well, all right. I, I so wish we could keep going. I know you have more on your list. There, uh, right? I yeah. have more. Should I just give a quick like list of yeah, just the, like, sure. other ones that I would recommend? Um, Paul Schrader's Hardcore, which is just a bizarre movie about. Although it features a really great performance by George C. Scott. It does. It is. He is great, but at one point, this very deeply religious man goes under the in, uh, underground in the porn world and wears a giant <laughs> afro and a fake mustache <laughs> and like he's like disco clothes. It's yeah. pretty incredible. Because he has to seem like a porn producer. Uh, and it was the early '80s. Uh, Wolf, which is Mike Nichols' movie with Jack Nicholson as a werewolf from uh, from the early '90s, including Jack's fat ass and old man jeans as a werewolf <laughs> shit, running through the woods. Which is I never saw that. It's pretty good. I just know that as one of the films that shot in the Bradbury Building. Yeah, uh, downtown. That's where his offices are. He's a he's a worked for a publishing company. Um, I do actually stand by certain aspects of Wolf. I really no, think, I, I think it's really good. Actually, I, I like it. But I think James Spader is legitimately. Frightening, in but the, the film. last third of that is just ridiculous. Oh yeah, it just becomes a battle between him and James Spader, like Wolf movie, where the most of it is like an intellectual discourse on what a contemporary Mike Nichols werewolf movie would be. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
uh, I would recommend Richard Rush's Color of Night starring Bruce Willis, which is a, a, one of Bruce's many sexual thrillers that uh, <laughs> it, it has to be seen to be believed and has a twist that will really just spin your head around or you'll go like, yeah, so what? Triple uh, X with Vin Diesel is sure. just the most preposterous ig- ignorance of physics ever made to <laughs> have action sequences just that don't make any sense at all that just have to be rewound and watched over and over again we were actually talking about this on the podcast earlier mm-hmm. how when he's in the the club in vienna it's like a techno remix of the zither music yeah, from, from the third, third man. man yeah like the director like <laughs> rob cohen's like this is my third man homage yeah <laughs> um there is a speaking of bruce willis is a movie that is not good but i can't stop watching it it's the jackal which is the remake of the mm. day of the jackal and yeah, and Bruce says I'm a sucker for any movie about with assassins who have disguises. I don't. I always just think that's great. And there's a great turn in that early turn by Jack Black as the guy who builds Bruce Willis's big gun for him. He's really funny. Yeah, and He's then great. he gets. Uh, I don't know. If he splays, well, right? Yeah, he that's blows thing. the fuck up. But no. but but his, his, the thing that his sucks arm is gets half just the destroyed. Movie is the plot of Richard Gere as an Irish like IRA guy working with Sidney Poitier and they're uh-huh. terrible and that's boring. But the Bruce Willis movie. You could probably cut that in a good hour movie. It'd be good. I recommend that part of it. So you must love The Saint. I know he's not an assassin. No, I haven't seen that, and I keep ref- – thank you for reminding me because I'm going to put that on my queue today. I know that's one word. You like Disguise as The Saint is the movie for you. And Val Kilmer. What about uh, LL Cool J in Toys? <laughs> he's that like, movie. He's disguised as the couch, or he's just up against the wall wearing the same clothes as the wallpaper. <laughs> yeah. That, That's actually kind of funny now that I think about it. There's a few yeah. more. I like uh, Four Brothers, the last John – Singleton movie, oh, I think, or thank, one of the last you know ones that he did. That's, thank you so much. That's a I, pretty good uh, exploitation movie. That's ridiculous, yeah, but it's, it's it is ridiculous. But I, 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 I've been trying to like convince people and that she it, would how tell much fun it Four is. plays the bad guy, and he's yeah. great. Yeah, and Josh Charles is in it, and I'm yeah. a big fan of him. Um, Although the what's the name? Uh, Garrett Garrett Headland. Headland. Yeah. His his death spoilers. His death scene. It's silly to me because, like, the whole they thing is silly. well, yeah, but like they lure him out of the house with a snowball fight, and it's like, <laughs> and so he goes outside <laughs> to throw snowballs, and he gets you know murdered. And I, I remember thinking, like, he's kind of taking his eye off the prize a little bit. <laughs> he knows he's in the middle of a war, right. right? He really shouldn't. I think that those were script pages from Dreamcatcher that ended up in the script <laughs> supervisor's book that day, and somehow they just filmed them. <laughs> a few more, I'll toss off the juror, which is. Ridiculous movie with Demi Moore and uh-huh. Alec Baldwin, and he, where he's a, a mob enforcer who's who's trying to get her to make a decision on a mob case. She's on a juror, and but it turns out he's just an insane person. Like even the mob doesn't want to work with him. Uh-huh. His performance is fantastic. It's total garbage, but it's really entertaining. Um, the Happening, which is <laughs> like Shyamalan's last movie with Mark Wahlberg, who says a lot of things like, "What's going on? Why is the train stopped?" What do you mean all the bees have disappeared? <laughs> but he's like, there's something so great and sort of earnest about his performance. And uh, after a couple of really bad movies, I guess maybe I was uh, happy to see something that was vaguely entertaining. It's completely stupid and has... Weren't we just talking twist, about it but last it's, week? It's pretty entertaining. Uh, yeah, last week with a, a different Pat, Pat yeah, Francis. Pat Francis. Pat Francis. Yeah. yeah. So, how about Paparazzi? Which is a <laughs> Mel Gibson produced movie about that's also directed by his hairdresser, right? Yes, or, or written by. I or can't something. remember who that is, but I, there's the one thing that I want to say about that, which is Kevin Gage is one of the bad guys. Who uh-huh. Kevin Gage is famous for playing Wayne Grow and Heat, uh, and he also was right. in that uh, film. Ka- was it Chaos? 
Oh, I haven't seen. Which that is like though. a, which is I've heard is a horror, just really terrible film. But uh, but yeah, a generally unpleasant man. It's basically the paparazzi led by Tom Sizemore, violent, evil people. <laughs> which I don't have any doubt that they're bad people, but like. It, it, but it, they terrorize this poor movie star so much that it, he becomes a vigilante against them and kills them. And it's just like Mel Gibson's wet dream movie. And uh, and at one point, Kevin Gage is one of the paparazzi. He gets in a motorcycle accident trying to follow the hero, played by Cole Hauser, son of Wings Hauser, the great uh, B actor. And mm-hmm. uh, he's holding him on a cliff, and he drops him, and it's literally like the Wile E. Coyote War Runner thing where he falls like, it's a shot of him falling really far, and then he like when he hits the ground, there's like that big puff of smoke <laughs> at the bottom of it. It's uh, it's entertaining, of course. Anaconda with with John Voight as right. Marlon Brando as a Mexican guy. That's right. Uh, and a Mar- great Marlon Brando late performance in a, a, a horrible movie that is endlessly fascinating for its ineptitude called Free Money, which also features mm. Charlie Sheen. And a strange Martin Sheen, uh, Marlon Brando reunion where um, Apocalypse Now is vaguely referenced, but they didn't shoot the scene together. It's another movie where like Brando was like in another city when they did. <laughs> Clearly, they didn't shoot it together at all. And uh, last but certainly not least, uh, Norbit, Eddie Murphy's uh, proto Jerry Lewis movie uh, uh-huh. from a few years ago, which I would never really. No, you, do you agree with the uh, the funny as hell. with the notion that Norbit cost him the Oscar that he because in, in between getting him nominated the Oscar for Norbit <laughs> in, in between being nominated for Dreamgirls and the actual Oscars Norbit was released. Well, I think that there's certain people like a person who was on the TV show I worked on and everyone else won the Emmys and he didn't because he's known as an a hole as as uh-huh. Eddie Murphy is. I think that's what cost people the most is their really? personality. Because I think he should have been nominated for the for the Nighty Professor. I mean, that's like amazing work. That's like uh-huh. he's playing like he played what five different characters in that. They're all incredibly distinct. Some of them you wouldn't even mm-hmm. realize are him. Uh-huh. And it's also very touching too what he does with some of the characters. But the Academy doesn't respect comedy, and and um, I but I think it's probably more that he's an a hole. I always liked like him that. in Bowfinger. I th- I always oh, thought yeah, he did a great job. In, yeah, look, he's a, he's an incredibly capable, talented guy who just. I don't think cares a whole lot, and and you know from what I've heard, shows up. I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast, but <laughs> he shows up and gets collects his money and doesn't do it if it's not on the page, unless it's something that he cares about. And I feel like when he's doing like the Rick Baker makeup stuff, he seems to be investing someone in it. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's a really funny movie. If you're avoiding it, I would I would see it. Norbit is the one you're talking Norbit, about. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, and my I w- pleasure, guys. I wish Thanks we could have gotten uh, you know our hour long plot descriptions on every one of those movies because <laughs> yeah, they were I mean, I'm very happy fun. To come back another time and definitely talk about this or, or absolutely whatever. because because uh, I do want to not now though. Yes, we gotta we gotta tease something. I do want to get your take on uh, speaking of Marlon Brando on the Island of Doctor Moreau. Oh yeah, that actually is on my list as well. But all I right, talk about it. But yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so you can get us at battleshippretension.com. You can email me Tyler at battleshippretension.com. David at David at battleshippretension.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the Pretension at the Pretension. Um, let's How see. can people find you on? Uh, on I'm the on internet? Twitter. Yeah, Twitter uh, backslash Pat underscore Healy H E A L Y. Okay. okay. And uh, and oh man, there's so many. Uh, now is uh, 
Great World of Sound is the name of it. Right? Great World of Sound is available on DVD, Netflix. Okay. I don't know if they have it on an instant view yet, but uh, you can certainly rent it from there. Yeah. And uh, I know that you play uh, pretty much kind of a, a lead role in that yeah. as opposed to some of the other films that you've been in. And so, uh, and I've read really great reviews. I Unfortunately, when I, when I heard you were going to be on, I went looking for it, couldn't find it, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, it's not, it's not that easy to find. It wasn't out for long, but uh, if you seek it out, you can find it. It's, no. uh, it's, it's a good one. I'm really proud of it. I'm not you, ashamed to pimp that one. You can find Angel Season 2 on DVD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Many, many of the series I've done on DVD and some of the films that I've, that I've yeah. been in are, are on DVD. And Ghost World, Magnolia, Undertow. Yeah, Undertow, uh, uh, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. and uh, Rescue Dawn is Rescue another one. Dawn mm. and yeah. some others I won't tell you to get <laughs> that you'll be luckily probably won't be able to find. Payback Director's Cut. Payback straight up the Director's Cut. Yeah. Which I actually want to see and haven't see yet. See in there for so a few yeah. minutes, yeah. I think you'll enjoy that. And um, uh, I haven't done anything in a while, but I have an indie film that I w- did in called. Uh, I did a little part in called Harmony and Me. That's been doing the festival circuit, and I see yeah, I've heard of it. DVD release sometime soon. And uh, that's it for now. Just waiting for uh, maybe one of these screenplays that I wrote is going to go, and I'll be in one of those. So that's the that's the hope. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. It was my pleasure. All right, All right and, and thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening. <laughs> we'll get you next time. I should have said it with you too. Yeah. All right. Hang on. One, two, three. Thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening. <laughs> oh, I was going to try and harmonize. It, so. <laughs> All right, uh, and yes, we'll get you next time. I took it away. Bye. 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 Bye.